My name is Axa Brenti Brent Garouth Ist Brent. It is not a human name. It is a Fandalite name. Not that humans reading this are likely to know what a Fandalite is. We don't have that many subscribers. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where Jenna and I read and discuss every Animorphs book in order. This week we're doing book number 28, The Experiment. Uh, in this book, the chief feed the group intelligence about an animal testing lab and meatpacking plant that were acquired by the Yerks a year previous. The Animorphs concoct an insane plan to sneak into the lab as testing chimpanzees, only to discover that the lab has completed its work and is being shut down. Then they concoct an even more insane plan to sneak into the slaughterhouse as cows. Somehow this doesn't end in their embarrassing deaths, but rather in the discovery that the Yerks' plan is to use the meatpacking plant to disseminate a some sort of additive that destroys free will in humans. And also that said additive doesn't actually work at all. Turns out the people assigned to work on it have been fudging their results because they're terrified of Visser 3. Star wipe to the mall food court, freeze frame, roll credits. <laughs> well put. I want to emphasize before we dig into this that this is an Axe book, not a Cassie book. Because a lot of the talk in it, it really feels like, especially an early Cassie book. I think a lot of... Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely... You're right. Axe has some real weird hang-ups in this about sentience and morphing sentience and leaving sentience to their fate that is real weird considering the fact that he morphs a human all the time yeah. and literally killed an a snail just by accident last book. <laughs> yeah, he has specific hang-ups about eating meat as well throughout this book that I... I mean, I don't, we don't have a running list of food he says he's eaten and enjoyed, but it, it seems weird to me that in this book, he suddenly is a pro-vegetarian. Not that there's, that I, that's a good thing to be, it's just weird and out of character for Axe in this book. I have noticed in, in the Andalite Chronicles, uh, and honestly, a lot of these other books, that this series as a whole cannot decide whether Andalites are primarily grazing herbivores or whether they're omnivores that are just like real high and mighty about other species eating food with their mouths. <laughs> yeah, because there's that section in the Andalite Chronicles where Laura gets a hamburger, a Big Mac specifically, name brand, and at, uh, Elfangor is just horrified when he learns what it is. But I feel like Axe has to have eaten something with meat in it because he will put anything in his mouth without questioning what it is or where it comes from or whether it's food or anything. He requests a hamburger at the very end of this book. Oh, Brent. After having been seconds away from getting uh, bolt gunned in the forehead. Yeah, that was so weird. So uh, let me lay out 
my theory about what this book is, other than secretly a Cassie book. <laughs> I think... Did you ever watch Okja? It's a Netflix original movie. Uh, how do you spell that? O-K-J-A. I have not. It, it, it came out like a couple months ago and I watched it and it, it was pretty good, but it was clear by the end of the movie that it was so much more about depicting really, really bad animal slaughterhouse standards than it was about anything else. So there are moments in it that feel really weird and out of touch and out of tone because it's about depicting slaughterhouses rather than having a story in which that is a part. Like, it was moralizing a little bit. And it was still very good and worth watching, but that was a part of it. And I got that same feeling reading this book where, like, it's weird that all of the animal testing takes place in one area, but then their human test subjects are in the slaughterhouse. Like, why did they have to go to the... Yeah, yeah, you pointed that out. And that makes sense because why... Why... Would that be how that is, unless your goal is to go to the slaughterhouse and talk about slaughterhouse conditions and how horrifying it is? I had sort of assumed that the reason that the human subjects were at the slaughterhouse rather than the animal testing lab was because that was a plot beat that in the outline that couldn't be hit until closer to the end of the book. And so that's just the only place that it could be squeezed in. But that may be uh, much too meta an assumption about it. <laughs> I think, no, I think that's right. But I think that if that's your goal, if that plot beat has to happen at a certain part in the book, I don't think there's any reason that the animal testing facility couldn't be the end goal. In fact, I think this book would have held together better if instead of having to go on these sort of two very different missions that both involve their own hijinks. <laughs> they, that they do. Yeah, if if you have one clear-cut mission, which is to get into blank space animal testing facility or meatpacking plant, I think that makes more sense. But it just, it seems like two separate big missions that don't really get their due. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, I get the sense that the, the slaughterhouse meatpacking plant was sort of shoehorned in specifically because primarily this is a horror series mm. and uh slaughterhouses are kind of a staple for a certain variety of horror film yeah um, i think that's fair they're they're pretty horrific and i say that as an omnivore hmm. yeah the conditions are bad and the situation it it's all bad which is why it's so weird that Regardless which one of us, or if there's another theory we don't know, it's weird that this book ends with all of them eating hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the actual resolution of the entire story was a little bit of a wet fart anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes, what an evocative turn of phrase, Brent. Uh, I, I mean, come on, though. It's like the scientist and just the very first thing is he just breaks down like, wow, we faked the whole thing. You didn't <laughs> need to be here. This is a whole pointless whatever. Uh, please just let me escape with you. I'd rather die of Candrona starvation than being murdered by the Visser. And like that, it just, it's just another, it's another one of those plot lines that they just didn't need to be involved in at all, as it turns out. Yeah, it, it 
There have been Cassie books that have similar sorts of questions raised about sentience and meat-eating and all of these really complicated questions. And I think those books do a good job ending on a note that's not certain and not real closure, but which at least thematically sort of closes off their the conversation that's had in the book. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't. This one's just like acts as like uh, free will can never be crushed in sentient creatures. Uh, and we save some chimpanzees and now I'm going to eat a hamburger and... And then wet fart noise. <laughs> I mean, if we want to be strict about sequence, it was wet fart noise, and then I'm going to eat a hamburger. Oh, um, we kind of forgot to mention it uh, because we launched like right into plot discussion. But this is another ghostwritten book. Mm. Uh, this one's written by Amy Garvey. Uh, this is the only one that Amy Garvey ghost wrote, as far as I know. I'm pretty sure that she's at Amy Garvey on Twitter. Uh, it looks like most of the books crediting her directly as writer are romance, supernatural romance, and mystery novels. But according to her website, she's also worked in, as an editor. Uh, her latest novel is Glass Heart, which is part two of the Cold Kiss series. Yeah, and let me, let me insert here in that I think this is actually a very well-written book. Agreed. Yes. Yeah, I think the actual writing is very good. It just seems like there was a goal that this book was trying to hit in exposing like the horror of slaughterhouses. And I think that goal kind of interrupted some of the thematic options and, and some of the conclusions that the book could have come to. So I think the actual writing was good. It just sort of didn't, it just fell apart a little at the end. Much like 27, I think our primary issues with this book are the the plotting uh which came from ka's outline Hmm. rather than the actual writing because i I get the sense that amy garvey had just a blast writing the book (laughs) where axe had discovers tv oh my god um i know that you sometimes get tired of the andalite uh what what the fuck is common sense? How is this human do? What's a hat? Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. I know you sometimes get tired of that, but I honestly did not this entire book. I really <laughs> fucking enjoyed all of his callbacks about the young and the restless, which he <laughs> and Tobias watch religiously on the TV in his scoop that he I, made. I do really like that Axe and his Shorm gather together in the afternoons to watch Young and the Restless. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. his nephew Shorm, and he watched <laughs> Young and the Restless, and Axe, uh, I, I find it, personally, I find it very entertaining that he interprets Young and Restless very literally, <laughs> and so tries to go to the mall without a shirt because he is young and also sometimes restless. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I bet, I bet the people who work at the mall know know this guy they know when they see him coming they say he'll do anything for a cinnabon he refers to jack as the the youngest and most restless <laughs> yeah he does a, a soap take rachel calls it yes i really liked the soap take and i love that rachel knew exactly what he was doing <laughs> i appreciate that a, there are several instances in this book where he is trying to use the television shows that he's been watching primarily soap operas (laughs) to better emulate human behavior in his human morph and whenever he tries to better emulate human behavior 
everyone looks at him like he's nuts. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and I like the callbacks to these messages, the short shows that exist in between the longer shows. Well, those are his favorite. They're so informative in such a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. Holy that was shit, all though. very good. Axe does, uh, has finally constructed a scoop for himself. Yeah, I like that. I like that he's got his own little treehouse or ground ground house, really. I I fucking love that his hole in the ground that he's dug for himself features a a small picture, (laughs) a small portrait of a delicious cinnamon bun (laughs) as one of his very few possessions. (laughs) I love that, too, because like... I, I want to know, I want to know, is this like a magazine ad he found? Is this like a drawing he made of his favorite food? How, what is it? Is it a poster? Did he steal some promotional art? No, this has to be a Polaroid because otherwise he wouldn't be able to stick it in the <laughs> instrument console of his jet fighter when he goes out on that last mission <laughs> that he has to return back from to see his beloved bun. Uh... Do you think he spends a lot of time... Like, doodling idly in notebooks, writing variations on Mr. Aximili Bun and Mrs. <laughs> Sinna Escarouth Isthil in cursive, dotting the eyes with hearts and shit. <laughs> yeah, every time he plays M.A.S.H., all of the romantic options are Cinnabon. And so I just tries to explain that that's cheating. <laughs> Delightful. Delightful. <laughs> I hope when it's raining, Tobias goes to his scoop and... and it hunkers down with him so he's not in the rain. I or, or maybe when he and Rachel are quarreling, he can go there. It sounds like uh, Tobias and Axe spend a lot of their time hanging out in his scoop, actually. <laughs> yeah, watching TV, yes. In the gritty reboot, they pass a bong back and forth, I think. <laughs> is this the new sub-show to this, the gritty, gritty reboot version? This is, uh, I guess this isn't the gritty reboot. This is the movie adaptation produced by Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah, getting a, uh, getting a hawk high. I'm trying to figure out how that would work. Even if the hawk were consenting to it. It puts its entire head in the bong. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So they, they rig up some sort of uh, fish tank vaporizer and just put Tobias in it <laughs> well, and then hot box him it's gotta be a fish tank type situation for axe to put his hoof in it to begin with. <laughs> i guess he could put his nostril holes up to uh, uh up to the the top of it um god there's a lot in this book do we want to talk about how axe thinks chimps are slightly more attractive than humans because they have fur yeah like, <laughs> yep. like him yeah, like a sexy, sexy Andalite. But also, just going back to the fact that the Andalites seem to have an almost instinctive desire to rank the attractiveness of different species. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is a nice canon callback to that. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> nobody asked. That's just acts editorializing about chimpanzees. I mean, when you get right down to it, though, the picture he's got on the wall of his scoop is a Cinnabon, not a not a (sighs) cheesecake photo of a chimpanzee. Okay, but what does it what does it mean that he wants to eat the the cinnamon buns? What does it mean, Brent? I think that that means 
I don't know a lot about Andalite sexuality other than that they like to become Nothlets and bone down with other species. Yeah. But it seems like Axe has discovered that for him, the greatest pleasure in life is taste. And Cinnabon is the pinnacle of that for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. What if, what if Alarin is the one that was really into swallowing things and... Fuck. And that's that is a trait that he gave Espelin rather than the other way around. We also get a moment early, like really, really early, well, where he and Tobias are watching The Young and the Restless, and Axe is like, <laughs> they do this weird thing <laughs> called kissing, and Tobias is, and, and he doesn't know why they do it, and Tobias is like, well, it's definitely got a purpose, but he doesn't explain. <laughs> Which I like. I like that Tobias is avoiding having a birds and the bees talk with Axe. I mean, really, it's it's like a hoof job, Axe, but, <laughs> but they do it with their mouths. Okay, okay, paint me a picture, Brent, because are you imagining that, like, young Andalites, when they're exploring their sexuality, are, like, pressing hoof to hoof? Yeah. Like like Bacchananists do with their feet in Okay. Uh, yeah. Pain. Okay. I okay. Yeah, I I imagine each of them gingerly lifting up <laughs> one forehoof and then pressing the ends of them against each other and sort of looking away bashfully. For some reason I assumed that Andalite mating rituals would involve like stroking each other with your tail blades as like a show of trust or something. Hmm, that does seem correct <laughs> for their weirdo, uh, warrior-obsessed oh culture. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, but... Shit, now, now I'm thinking <laughs> about too, Klingon all the sex, time. Jenna. <laughs> right, because you're very <laughs> deep into Deep Space Nine. nine. I'm so deep. Um, at one point, Rachel, this isn't even a thing that we need to talk about. I just want to say it out loud. Rachel removes a taxon leg and then uses it as a weapon because it's so pointy and sharp. And I really liked that. It was very good. <laughs> that taxon leg? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just any taxon leg. <laughs> God. Um, fucking what else? Okay, so... How is their plan morph the animals held captive in the truck and not like morph something that can cling to the bottom of the know. truck until it's through the force field? For for the slaughterhouse? I don't know. It, no, not even for the slaughterhouse. Oh, the this animal is just testing the, uh... Yeah, that's a good question. Uh-huh. Because there's no biofilter over the animal testing. Like there's no reason they couldn't go in yes. as literally any other animal. Uh huh. Just like lizards or bats or something, just something that can hang on where they can't be seen on the truck and then drop. Yeah, off I also thought it was like weird leaves. that they didn't just not be cows, because you can just be like a flea and crawl under a cow's ear. And I know they had some tricky, they had some difficulty getting the flea morph to thread that needle. But like, if you just have one person stay behind <laughs> and put the fleas under a cow's ear, that cow can't do shit about that. And then you're just in, and it's fine. It is very strange that it didn't occur to them, hey, 
maybe we can just all be flies in the cow's nose instead yeah. of one of us having to be the cow. But then we wouldn't have had the very, very tense scene with Axe about to get Anton <laughs> Chigurh in the head. I, yeah, it's almost as though that was the real goal of this book. So I, <laughs> I, I'm glad that this came back. But when they, when they started their whole situation, I noted that. Th- I can foresee an immediate issue with morphine steers while hoping to escape detection unless emasculators alter DNA. And I'm not like super familiar (laughs) with epigenetics, but I don't think that's how it works. And as it turns out, yeah, actually, when they morphed (laughs) steers, they had balls and got very crossed with each other. I'm glad you caught on to that because I didn't, even though in hindsight, earlier in the book, they specifically mention neutering steer so i think it was really set up well and i just did not latch onto it at all yeah because axa pulled out that that <laughs> specific uh, bit earlier on and then it didn't occur to him which yeah because he's watch he watches animal funny, planet because he jerry-rigged cable for his crt and cassie is jealous because she doesn't get animal planet i liked that how um how does Axe power his his television? Because we know yeah, it is. I don't is know if they specifically scenes, mentioned right? it, but it's the '90s, so I don't think. Yeah, it really does. It has to be. I don't know. Like, there's that whole bit where he tells, he says that he stole some basically some electrical wire, and that's a good first step. But where <laughs> there's a lot else that has to happen. <laughs> he stole yeah, power like the cable, line. like a power line. Somehow, without discovering yeah, that it transmits but electricity. No, it's but he doesn't use it for electrical transmission, oh, right? Yeah. He uses it as part of That's his satellite point. receiver setup. I don't know. So how does, Some he, how does he power it? technology that he's not going to share with us. Well, I don't know. Okay, so we were talking about this before we started recording, and you were saying that you picture it as one of those... Yeah, those old ass portable televisions with the handle on top and the little two inch black and white screen and the antenna that comes off the side. And I feel like maybe those ran on like I think 16D so. batteries I, or something. I seem to vaguely remember that being a thing. And I, I have to assume it just, yeah, it just runs on a ton of batteries. That raises its own question, though, because where are they getting the batteries? And also, at one point, he mentioned somehow sometimes he goes in the morning to get breakfast pastries and misses his morning shows. Where is he getting the money for any of this, Brent? Maybe he's got a Game Gear and one of the uh, RF <laughs> television adapters. Well, I mean, he'd only be able to watch TV for like five minutes before the batteries I think, died. Sure, I think but... either Axe is stealing or... He's got like a part-time job on the side that he can work for two hours at a time. <laughs> I really want to read that fan fiction about Axe's job because I'm I'm really enjoying <laughs> the Axe POV books, honestly, even though this one is yes. like a secret Cassie. I kind of do too. On the heels of the Andalite third Chronicles third book, it's a little redundant. Um, just again, because we get all of these little asides, like, that's something, something, human, something, something. And it's like, yeah, I know, I know, I'm a human, keep going. 
he's writing it for Andalites. Well, and also, I think we've established that Elfingor's family uh, does not put <laughs> up with their kids being fucking nerds. So I think perhaps Axe is just a little bit slow, like his older brother Elfangor, because they're busy thinking about all of the different <laughs> ways that they could tail fight someone instead of thinking about like, oh yeah, it makes sense that um, these aliens have <laughs> things to protect them from the elements. Yeah, that's very possible. Doesn't explain where he's getting his money, though. He just wants his father's approval. Um, oh, while he's watching TV, there's definitely a part where a news anchor says, he, he's flipping through and he stops at a news anchor who says that several local people have gone missing. And I made a mental note of that because, and also a literal note in my note sheet about that because I thought that was going to be a clue to what was happening at the slaughterhouse. And it it wasn't though, because they specifically say when they find the human experimental subjects that they would not be missed because none of them have any family and nobody will notice they're missing. Which brings me to our actual sub sub story in this podcast, which is what Hecate's been up to. Yes. Yes. Okay, I so I think all of too, those local people first. are Yerk controllers that Hecate has kidnapped and starved out, and that's why they're missing. I think that's what that's actually about. I, you, I, I think mm -hmm. that's 100% correct. More canon than canon. Also, I think that the uh, scientist at the end of this book, up the controller scientist, who they never mention... Yeah, gives up immediately, says, just yeah. let me escape with you, and then they never mention him again. I think uh, he either... <laughs> I want him to have hooked up with Hecate after his Europe starves. Yeah. It is possible that he mm. is recruited by Joe Bob Finestra instead and taught the ways of uh, Yerk Hannibal. I bet the Yerks... Stuff. I bet the Yerks have a whole bunch of whisper networks about... Uh, first of all, about how the Andalite bandits are definitely superhumans. Uh, by superhumans, I mean they are just super, definitely just humans. Uh, another whisper network, I bet, is about Joe Bob Finistra, because they probably have all heard about the Yurk serial killer. And I bet the third one is, <laughs> I hear there's a lady in the mountains who, if you get to her, can help you. Like, I bet there's a whisper network among the, the controllers, like, when they're in the cages and their yurks are getting fed in the pool. I bet they all talk, and everybody knows that there's maybe a place that you can go if you have to. But nobody can find it. It's just a legend. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the city of light. Okay. Third option is that controller scientist Yerk decides that it is better to live in a complete dissociative, dissociative state than to die of starvation and hit some of that sweet, sweet that's, um, maple ginger instant oatmeal. Yeah, I guess that's a possibility. Yeah. That's the, the, the real dark option. God. I mean, God. That's gotta be like, so we've established that the Yerk culture that's currently supreme is like a death cult. And that's got to be, like, the dark alternatives that happen if you leave the fold. 
Like, you're either going to get attacked by the serial killer, you're going to disappear into the mountains to never be heard from again, or ma- maple ginger oatmeal. I mean, let me be very clear. When we talk about the dominant Yurk culture being a death cult, we're talking about the quote-unquote Yurk empire, the fleet that is invading other things. Yeah, we don't yeah, know that's what what's going to, on yeah. in the Yurk homeworld. Yeah, so... Yeah. That's pretty dark. That poor scientist... Like, it's better than being with Visor 3, 100%, but yikes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that that whole situation is very Visor 3. Which, by the way, Visor 3 seems very excited about the prospect of the (laughs) Endline Bandits being butchered. Because he's a completely normal (laughs) dude who doesn't want to eat them. I think my new canon is that that's an Aloran thing that Espelin just got. Because we never, we'd seen Espelin pre-Aloran a bunch of times and never did he say anything about eating any of his captives or anything like that. I think that's, I think that's an Aloran thing. That's true. I like that, especially because it very much feeds into the idea that we've batted around before that the host affects the yerk um to a much greater extent than the i mean that's one of the things that the death cult has really suppressed knowledge wise yeah (laughs) (laughs) man for a book that's just completely off the rails in terms of why any of them are even doing any of this shit's very good book now that we've talked through it, I like it even more. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that this this author enjoys <laughs> Marco Banter as much as we do because there's a lot of good yeah. good Marco Banter in this book. He makes several jokes <laughs> that are surprisingly actually. Yeah, funny. I think Marco was really well well written in this book. It is weird that there is a plot point in here that involves cow tipping because i'm i'm pretty yeah, sure cow I, tipping isn't real that's such a it's such a one of those weird prevalent cultural ideas that exists that i've never actually heard or talked to anybody or seen any evidence that is actually real like you would think that one of us because we both grew yeah. up in relatively rural illinois i mean where you grew up is way less rural than where I grew up, but still, you would think that one of us would know if this is a real thing that people did. Although, I don't know about you, but I didn't. I did hang out with some FFA folks who, like, <laughs> did presentations about cattle diseases at state competitions, but I didn't really hang out with the sorts of people who would get drunk and go cow tipping if it's real. So. Maybe I just don't know about I it. Mean, I mean, I think the cool the act of tipping over a cow is maybe different from people going out because they're drunk and bothering cows in a cow field. Because that seems like something that probably happens quite a lot, actually. Yeah, I mean, and not a lot else to do. So if you've been drinking and you're bored, go bother a cow. Say that you're going to go cow tipping and then not really know how to do it. That seems like something that could happen. Or tell the new <laughs> dude that you're hazing that you're going cow tipping. Like, when Yes, you I mean, cows are pretty fucking sturdy. It seems like it would 
take more than a couple people to knock one over. We used to have a game. There were so many cows. We used to have a game that we would play on long trips called okay. My Cow, My Cemetery. If you were the first one that sees a like when you see a cow, if you're the first one that says my cow, you get a point. When you see a cemetery, if you're the first one that says my oh, cemetery, I everyone like else that. loses a point. What a Whoever has thing. the most points at the end of the road trip wins. Because if there's one thing that is abundant, <laughs> if there are two things that are abundant in central southern Illinois, it is cows and, one giant and cemeteries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big fucking cross. Also a giant ketchup bottle. Oh man. Anyway, uh Twitter Twitter peeps, if if you know for a fact that cow tipping is real or not, please let us know because I don't think it is, but I'm willing to admit that yeah, I could be for, wrong. First hand I was really yeah, first accounts only, please. We can we can Google cow tipping and find please. lots of people who said it that they've done it. Oh, I wonder if there's video? Yeah, I was I just probably thinking should the have same looked this thing. up on YouTube. Just, just real quick. Cow okay, yeah, do that. Um, while you're looking that up, I'm I'm just gonna just gonna throw out that I'm real glad that Jake's idea to save their morph into cows plan uh, when they discover how bad an idea it is to do steers that uh, his plan involves like stealing <laughs> a truck and not castration. <laughs> Because I really thought that that was going to be, oh, well, we can get rid of those. You'll throw them back <laughs> when you morph true. out. It is technically an option. Yeah, I think if, if any of them has the experience necessary to pull that off without them dying before they morph back, it's Cassie. And I'm not sure that she has that experience. Yeah, that would have, it would have, have taken some quick. really grim hork morphing. And some some regrettable stuff. I, Brent, I'm not finding any legitimate cow tipping. There there are videos called cow tipping in which nothing happens. <laughs> that sounds way more like my experience of growing up in the yeah, Midwest. Yeah, the than number one result on tipping. YouTube when you search cow tipping is a video that has <laughs> all, just under half a million views. And I watched all one minute and 57 seconds of it, and there's not a fucking goddamn cow tip to be seen. There's a woman with a baby strapped to her belly saying something, but none of the things she's saying is, wow, good cow tip there, buddy. Presumably she's telling you about the one <laughs> weird trick to tip cows discovered by a mom, uh, that if you stay till the end of the video and then pay uh, them $60, you get a pamphlet about uh, it. <laughs> There's a, a video called Discover Dairy, What's the Truth Behind Cow Tipping that's released by Movie Channel. That's movie with two O's. Uh, Presumably that is I hope by so. the American it's, Dairy It Council. seems to be like an explainer about cow tipping. Um, but I don't want to watch it on air because we've already wasted a lot of time. Yes. So like cow a tipping, lot of time. I'm going to say I don't think it's real. Period. I think you're correct, but I'm willing to be schooled on Twitter yeah. if you have first-hand experience. I, yeah. Regardless, I don't think it detracts from the cow tipping in this book, because I don't think they even successfully cow tip. They're just drunkards coming out into this field, harassing. Yeah, they get, oh, yeah, they they, get knocked that's out. That's right, they get knocked out by Axe. 
Is there anything else in this book you wanted to talk about? Uh, in this book, they caused mm. a dude to crash his car into yeah. a telephone pole and just left him, but couldn't bring themselves to leave the chimps to a certain death. So that's interesting. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to think about that. I just know that I think they probably yeah, because that dude was driving full accident. speed next to the truck they were on, and uh-huh. swerves off and hits a telephone pole. Swer- um uh-huh. yeah it's a good point brent and it, it it is an interesting interaction with our previous discussion about axe and his consideration of sentience uh and the quote that we have from him in this book we try never to kill any controller yeah. which is an incredible yeah, lie I mean, they kill some taxon in this book for sure. So, I mean, maybe that's not what they count as controllers. But. They have a lot of rhetoric about human controllers not being human anymore. In a lot of previous books, they've definitely straight murdered some Hork-Bajir. I know even when they talk about their quote-unquote non-lethal methods of dealing with human controllers, it's still things like throwing someone so far in the (laughs) air that they don't know where he landed. Yeah, that does seem inconsistent with some of the earlier books. I don't know if we've ever had Axe's POV on that, so maybe, maybe Jake saying, we don't kill unless we have to, is enough for Axe to believe it, even if in practice that's not what's happening. That actually makes a lot of sense to me because the Andalite warrior culture seems to center (laughs) around being able to convince yourself of things that are patently and obviously not true because someone in charge of you. Yeah, and uh, Jake is his prince. So if Jake says we only kill when we absolutely have to, then that's what it is. That person had to crash their car and die. Right. The only insubordination you were allowed (laughs) is if they tell you not to call them prince. (gasps) Oof. Uh, hey, remember that time Eric said, call my lawyer, he was Moses' law professor? What does that mean, Brent? I really, I really want to assume <laughs> that that's like a joke. But Eric's done so much humble bragging about his fucking historical exploits up till now that I, I can't either. I can't tell. I like the phrase Moses' law professor. <laughs> I don't. That makes me irrationally angry. I mean, it implies a lot of stuff that I none of which I think is real or possible or true. <laughs> it seems like an incredibly like why why not why not go with like Hammurabi's law professor if you're going to invoke an ancient <laughs> figure known about laws, because isn't the whole point of Moses that yeah, he got maybe, them from well, fucking God? Is is Eric's lawyer the dude who chiseled the Ten question, Commandments? <laughs> why? Why is he so obsessed with there not being any gods before him? I don't know, friend. I just don't know with Eric anymore. Okay. So the the two uh, the two options just to wrap it up the two options yeah. here in the Animorphs canon are either that Eric has made a joke 
about how good his lawyer is because haha all cheer yeah. old and interacted with famous dudes or b <laughs> uh judaism is a joke perpetuated by a chi <laughs> in ancient times which seems rough uh, let's rough. both agree rough that me. he was joking together let's agree i think that's the absolute <laughs> least offensive uh interpretation yep, so yeah let's go with that Eric. <laughs> is there anything else in this book <laughs> Um, X, because it's an X POV, I, the one thing that I do feel like was overdone a little with the X stuff in this book was, uh, how humans are worse than Andalites, because at one <laughs> point he mentions garbage, uh, and how it's a very important human product, and it's like, fuck off, dude, you can't tell me that Andalites don't have garbage, y'all make, like, lasers and spaceships, there's definitely, like, byproducts from your weird etsy refinery situation where you're producing rare earth elements out of rocks that your yeah. other family has mined yeah and that i mean the fact that they bro. found an andalite toilet or a trash receptacle indicates that they have dumpsters axe that's canon much like the episode of deep space nine where they travel back into the past Fuck. with four klingons have forehead ridges Andalites don't talk about the <laughs> Yeah, toilet. their society is just so repressed that they can't even bring themselves to talk about excrement. I, I hope you appreciate me bringing in that little bit of DS9 lore because I, I fucking You know what? I kind of did too. Actually. That whole episode was spectacular. Tribbles and tribulations. <laughs> you just don't so, fucking talk about it. It's so good. It's one of the things that makes me want to watch the rest of Star Trek so much because I'm so curious. Oh, so good. Is there anything else? So the last thing I wanted to bring up is that uh, Rachel forivorially flyatized and loving it and living in Tobias's nose uh, is 100% somebody's <laughs> fetish. Is it an Andalite fetish? Feels like it could be. I don't know. No, it's it's... I, unless there's Andalites on the internet. No, it's definitely an internet person. I guarantee you there is a subculture involving shrinking and living inside mm, I uh, mean, someone's nose. Shrinking definitely is. I have to assume that living in certain orifices mm -hmm. is also a part of that. So I think you're right. It's a good investigation. Yeah. 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 100%. Human sexuality is a incredibly <laughs> diverse flower. And I love its smell. <laughs> well that'll do it for this week <laughs> thanks for listening to fandalites you've been a great audience and uh we're really enjoying yeah. the twitter engagement um if you've got anything to say to us positive or negative because we got thick skin so it doesn't matter uh hit us up at, on twitter at fandalites you can email us fandalites at gmail.com you can Visit us on Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com, or at our website at www.fandalites.com. Uh, thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. Uh, and until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug.
can't believe you keep getting the axe books. <laughs> I know what the fuck. <laughs> How? I don't. I don't know. I'm running I out know. of permutations of his name and mine. Uh, I'm for sure gonna make sure you do all of the rest of the axe books for the rest of this. If that involves lying and deceiving you, I'm willing to do it. 